Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Graham Manson. Graham is the co-creator and executive producer of the acclaimed and award-winning television series Orphan Black and the showrunner for the upcoming Snowpiercer. Previously, he was a television writer for rent The Bridge, Flashpoint, and Being Erica, and co-wrote the film Cube. He's now developing a television show, whatever, Linda. Graham, that's a whole lot of stuff, man. That's, uh, that's a lot of um, cross-border culture right there. Really excited to talk to you about all of those and kind of what you're working on now and everything in between. So first question, Great. though, Cheers. and I know we discussed this before the show, tell us where you are in the world right now. Oh, I'm in a semi-autonomous residential armed neighborhood nestled in the Santa Monica Mountains in California. The barbed wire surrounding me is full of sensors and murder bots, and uh, the sun is shining down on the gleaming buffalo skulls surrounding the pool. Just a, just a typical day in L.A., I guess, right? Just a typical day in L.A. <laughs> and what's the commute like there? Are you driving into a studio every day? Do you write from home? I know, obviously, you're on sets. Walk us through what that looks like. Well, currently, uh, I have just started the writer's room of season two of Snowpiercer, and I'm lucky enough not to have to commute very far. It's my first stint of living here in Los Angeles, so I'm, I'm trying to avoid the commuting a lot. So 20 minutes from my house to a room full of writers is not, a ba- is not bad, I think. When you say stint in Los Angeles, were you in Vancouver perhaps before? Or? I am uh, from Vancouver, but I spent the last 15 or so years in Toronto. Oh, um, okay. I can film and TV in, in Canada. So post-Orphan Black, moved down here to see what this uh, dog-eat-dog world is all about. The Canada movement is pretty crazy these days. What's your thoughts on it? I feel like uh, Canada's taken over the entertainment scene. I think if you went and talked to some Canadian writers, you might maybe get the uh, opposite. Really? Yeah. You know, feature films are incredibly hard to get made in Canada. The indie film uh, world is, is, you know, barring Quebec. There's not a lot to go around there. And then there, we have, you know, the constant uh, sort of weighing or, of the networks of their Canadian content um, contributions and uh, responsibilities. And right now in the fall lineups is a pretty bleak time for uh, the amount of Canadian productions getting made. Is there a new hope, so to speak, for Canadian productions? You know, it's, uh, it comes and goes, and it's something that, uh, that we have to constantly sort of be on guard for against, against you know, certain things that allow that, the, the cultural film community to exist in Canada, some of the government support, some of the network, like, you know, they have certain things that they have to live up to in, ten- in terms of producing original Canadian content. And that's just constantly a battle between the networks often 
just programming American stuff, which is much easier and less commitment for them. So it's just something that the Writers Guild of Canada keeps a very close eye on, all filmmakers, in fact. And now you're in L.A. and you're uh, developing a new show. I would love to get into kind of where you got your start. You know, obviously, Orphan Black, huge show. We had, you know, listed out that list of other shows you worked on prior to that. You mind kind of just walking us through how that kind of evolution happened? Did you move to, you know, Toronto from Vancouver to kind of get your start? Like, walk us through the whole trajectory. Well, I had a, I had maybe a, a, a kind of a typical start in film. I was always sort of a writer by default, no good at math and science. So I sort of took, uh, I took journalism in university and then, uh, you know, and I was always kind of a theater geek and stuff like that. So I, I gravitated to my first film courses in university and really enjoyed, still enjoyed writing plays. I enjoyed drama plays and, and movies. I got out of school and I got the first job I could in the film business. Uh, I worked as a set dresser in Vancouver to see how film and TV was made. So I did like six or eight years of that. And then I went back to school at about 30 and moved to Toronto, where that's sort of the center of the Canadian business. That's where the networks are. That's where the larger studios are and indie producers. So wound up in Toronto went to the Canadian Film Centre. And, you know, at that point, I was really like wanting to write indie films. I was a film buff. And that was, you know, that was the early uh, mid-90s. And as I got out of film school, the jobs were in TV. I got lucky to get a film made like Cube. But that's the last indie film I ever got made. <laughs> you know, indie film is dire. I was... Working with a lot of my writer friends, always working on on feature scripts, but getting gigs in TV. TV at the time was like doctors and lawyers and cops and procedurals, which felt like like we're going to end up TV hacks and we're never going to get another movie made. And then along came a great little show called Six Feet Under, and then along came Sopranos, and suddenly networks were interested you know this new cable model and 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 there was venues for serialized storytelling and john fawcett and i my partner in orphan black we gravitated to those shows right away and immediately started like sort of kicking the tires on old feature ideas to see if they would hold up in this new what we thought might be a new chance to tell long form storytelling in, on television and we chose orphan black out of our old idea of features and then, you know, two years of development, another year of pitching, 10 years from the conception of Orphan Black as a, as a feature film. And uh, we got that over, one over the wall. So that was a long time of working on other people's material to get to work on our own. Orphan Black, for both of us, was our first original television series. You are a co-creator for Orphan Black, as well as a showrunner now for Snowpiercer and developing whatever Linda. We usually walk through process, and I would love to kind of talk through the various stages in the process with you. What do you feel most comfortable describing the process as, from a creator's perspective, from a showrunner's perspective? Maybe sort of both. Sort of both? Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds great. So yeah, let's just talk process. Would you want to use Orphan Black as an example? Would that be the best example? Would Snowpiercer be a better example, or is that a little early uh, on? No, I, you know, Snowpiercer would be uh, would be a good one. It's okay. fresh. Cool. 
or I could talk maybe about, I could talk a little bit about both. I don't know. Yeah. We'll walk through the stages and then what do you think is a relevant example? We kind of go through all of them. So let's talk inception, conception. You were talking about how you worked on uh, Orphan Black, adapting it from the script. Is that always the case? And what does that period of developing it usually look like? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's not always the case. It was, that was the, for Orphan Black, it was a purely original idea. Without an uh, existing property to go on, I think there's a lot more work to convince everyone that your idea can stand on its own legs and spin forward and, and you know, generate, you know, Funko Pop dolls or whatever. <laughs> uh, so there was a lot of that a really intensive world building from the ground up on Orphan Black. Um, the, the networks vary in, you know, questioning it. And because of the time that we were developing Orphan Black, you know, the Canadian networks were still gun shy of serialized storytelling. They said they wanted to do it. But, you know, our first sort of stabs at developing, this is what an Orphan Black episode would look like. Like we were putting in sort of a procedural line, a clone of the week kind of mechanism, rather than just letting the story roll on its serialized merits. Luckily, we ended up on just, you know, pure story, not sort of a, a episodic, like a clone of the week, which we feared greatly. That's one sort of process. And then now I'm working on Snowpiercer, which is a completely different process because, of course, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a existing series of French graphic novels and it's a tremendous feature film by director Bong. So it already is a world. And this one was a bit of an odd duck because it had already actually sort of been through the ringer once. Um, and they'd actually created the better part of a pilot, but then their creative differences split up the previous team and they went looking to re reboot this and find a new showrunner to take it in a different direction. So it was a bit of a broken play. Like I, uh, but I didn't care. Snowpiercer to me is just like the exact kind of existential yet grounded sci-fi that really turns my crank. And the minute I heard that, that they were trying to make it, I was like, that's just a fantastic series. I know exactly what I would do with the energy of Bong's movie. And, you know, I was able to pull together a pitch pretty fast and go in and and then I got hired and I was like, oh, shit, now what? <laughs> because I essentially pitched something much different um, that would require all new sets. And but they had 13 or something existing cast members. And I had to convince about half of them to take on brand new roles. As far as the art of the pitch, did you have to pitch all of these ideas or was it specifically Orphan Black that you had to pitch? Walk us through kind of getting these ideas from your hands to a studio and getting it to the point where they're like, okay, let's green light it. Or Well, the bad news is that, that everything involves some sort of pitch. You're going to end up doing it throughout the life of the project. So pitching is, uh, pitching is important and pitching is something that I somehow years ago mastered my fear of pitching because I used to be quite terrified to pitch. But at, at some point I just said to myself that, Fear does absolutely no good. And I stopped putting stakes on these conversations that are really what pitching is and 
tried to turn my pitches into at least have some element of conversation. But that's a long way of saying that uh, I must have pitched Orphan Black every single place in Canada and the U.S. for almost two years. Oh, wow. And if I had a pretty well laid out pitch, and sometimes John and I would do the dog and pony show together, we went all the way through Canada and didn't get a bite. It was a crazy ass show. Like, honestly, like, we're going to do this Canadian show and we're going to use this technology and it's going to be clones and we're going to find one actor to play all these parts and it's going to be great. People are just like, I don't think you guys can do that. <laughs> <laughs> the technical challenges and bottom line was just like, who will you get to play this? It's too risky. We can't, you know. And then we pitched it throughout the States and came back empty handed as well. So we put the project down for a good eight or nine months when the phone rang and it was BBC America, who we had pitched earlier, but had been through a regime change. And uh, a woman named Aaron Jonto put it on Perry Simon's desk as he came in for his first day and said, I've kept my job <laughs> in the purge. And <laughs> this is the show that I think we should make. So we got an American network first, BBC America. And then with that interest, we went back and, you know, the Canadians didn't exactly fall all over each other, but we managed to come away with it with a Canadian partner in Bell. But it is, it is one of those sort of sad truths of Canadian television is you can pitch your show up and down in Canada and they'll say, well, great. If you take it down to Hollywood, see if you can come back with an American partner, <laughs> you know? Whereas, so that's, I mean, that's Orphan Black was a long series of pitching to get the thing up off the ground. Snowpiercer was essentially me sitting down and hacking on, away on, on a bunch of ideas for a couple of days and going in and kind of trying to land the job in one conversation. But like I said, I pitched the season over and over and over. I just started the writer's room like a week ago. Within a couple of weeks, I'll go into the studio and the network and I will pitch them the bare bones of a season two. Then we'll take it a little further and I'll get them in and I'll pitch them a more detailed version of the first three episodes. Then we'll pitch them the first half. Then we'll, you know, pitching is constant and pitching is all about making your job easier. That's get your just job as easier as a showrunner. If everybody is on side the story, that's the first job is to, is to get everybody Onside the story. If your network has, knows what you're trying to do and is telling the same story, it'll just make your life so much easier because there's enough problems coming in production. You mentioned the writer's room. As a showrunner, I'm assuming you are in that writer's room as a creator. Were you also in the writer's room? How involved as a creator slash showrunner are you in that room? What role do you play? What do the other uh, writers play? Walk us through what goes on in there, the outline, the arcs, all that stuff. Well, the writer's room, I mean, the writer's room is where I come from i'm like definitely a writing showrunner as opposed to like a filmmaking showrunner or more of a creative producer showrunner these early days in the writer's room are my favorite time of the whole process it's the first couple of months or six weeks you have with the writers when it's big ideas and themes and broad character arcs and what do we want to say that's where i get my real joy and then you know the job gets progressively more difficult and time-consuming as you get closer to production, you get into prep, then you're in production, then you're shooting, and you're still writing, 
And after you're shooting, you begin to have to watch cuts. It quickly turns into three or four jobs. <laughs> right now is the glory days of it's just a writing job. That's the part I love. So Orphan Black or Snowpiercer, it's a mix of writers I know and trust and have worked with before. And uh, particularly down here in the States, um, new writers that I haven't worked with. And it's really about trying to, you know, form that room that is my kind of room. Everyone's a listener. You know what I mean? Everybody shares high and low. We have really strong, we brought back the whole sort of junior end of the Snowpiercer writing department, the staff writers, the story editor. And including like the, the room PA and the story coordinator and people are getting bumps. I'm trying to create a team where people are going to stick around for multiple seasons and be invested in the show. That's kind of top to bottom. That's what you want in your all your departments. But I have, uh, for instance, on Snowpiercer, I have a really strong second in Aubrey Nealon, who was is a Canadian fellow BC filmmaker I've known for years and years. And we worked on Orphan Black together. I've had my uh, producing partner, Mackenzie Donald, through the season. Mackenzie Donaldson also worked on Orphan Black. Got another writer, Renee St. Cyr, from Orphan Black. So there's like, there's some, some people I really know and trust. And there's also like, I like to hire that new, exciting voice every year that's going to come at it with something really new. But I can't reiterate enough that this is the good part. The writer's room, before things get crazy... This is, uh, that's where you have to make tracks and set your story and get everybody on the right page, get the department, writer's room department clicking where everybody from top to bottom feels that they can, that their ideas can be heard and they invest in the show. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favourite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favourite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickr and Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. Is there a uh, secret to coming up with compelling arcs? you know, from beginning first episode pilot to the end of the season, as well as those mini arcs within each episode? Sometimes they're very hard to find, and sometimes they're very easy. I try to open the season the first few days of any writer's room with some very good, broad ideas of 
sort of flagpoles of what you want to hit in terms of plot and in terms of main character arcs or main character triangles. Yeah, I like to like to present an end point to the room very early, an end point of the season, so that we've got something to go on and something to hang all the conversations on right out of the gate. Don't want to really land in a writer's room first day and go, so who's got some ideas for season two? <laughs> you know what I mean? As far as writing the actual scripts, walk us through that process. We've talked about this on the show before. The feature film script, everybody knows. The television script is kind of a more elusive beast. Is it the same thing as a feature script, just in a shorter format? Walk us through what it looks like and what the process is for you when you sit down to write it. Well, it's, uh, you know, just like mechanically, it's different off the top because you have to serve as commercial breaks. So it, you know, its form and its craft is different with the commercial breaks really sort of forming little artificial breaks that often land in places in a feature film that you would call the end of the first act or whatever anyway. So commercial breaks are, are part of the fun of, of the craft of writing a script. But it's, that's like a job one difference with a feature script. And then, you know, relative length. But I would say that generally the collaborative nature of breaking a television episode is what sets it like so distinctly apart. We in rooms that I have been in and or run, you know, I I do like uh, strong authorship behind every episode. So it's not gang writing, but we definitely break every episode as a group. And generally myself or Aubrey, if that's the second, will will generally not like tip our hand as to, as to who's getting what episode when until a little bit later in the game so that everybody stays invested equally in their episode. Like if I told you on day one, you're writing episode three, that's where your focus goes. Like no matter what. So that's, yeah, that's a little sort of one aspect of it. And then, you know, when the, when the script or when the story is on the board and it, then it feels strong enough to go to outline like around then or a few days before then i'll i'll assign that script to a writer hopefully writing an outline and then a an episode is is a quicker version because we like a detailed break on the board really break it down by beats so you you go away with that with that act structure you write your outline and again the room functions as a group editor Everybody reads everything. Everybody gets a chance to comment on everything. As far as production, what is it like for you as a creator and a showrunner on the set, even into post finishing up that season? Walk us through a day in the life, how long that goes on, what's going through your mind? The real insane stretch of running of being a showrunner in the in a series of television, it happens at about if you're doing ten episodes, say it happens at about episode four or five. That's when you're shooting, you've got directors out editing their material, you've got incoming directors that you've got to get onto the floor with finished scripts, and you've got the writer's room, in this case, back in Los Angeles, churning out scripts down the line. So suddenly the job is like three or four full-time jobs. And post, you know, on the one hand, you cannot wait to see those first episodes cut together, those first assemblies and those first director's cuts. It's a super exciting point as well. 
but it's it's another point where you're, where you're just adding on these hours and more notes and something else that you have to cycle through a notes process with the network and with the studio. You know, you still got still got scripts going through that whole process of notes from from the studio. Now you've got half finished episodes that are getting notes from the studio. Plus you've got your crew shooting on the floor and flipping directors, which are getting real time notes from the studio. <laughs> so sounds so, like a lot. Yeah, well, it, so at one point, like post is at, so like I said, post is both a joy and and a time crunch, but it's also certainly in the last couple of years. It was different for me with um, John Fawcett. John Fawcett in Orphan Black. John's a director, so my my straight up creative partner in Orphan Black was a director. So I could say, "Oh, you're the director, so you can go to the cuts, and I'll watch later cuts." <laughs> You know, I'll just do the writing side right. and you get it up to, to, to the speed where you think you need me. It worked great. This, you know, more recently, I've been far more involved in post and I really love the process, but I don't consider myself an expert as a director might be in post-production. I listen to my post producers and, and coordinators. There's a lot of visual effects here. Like I say, I'm I'm a writing showrunner, so I add my comments from from story always not really from the technical. Walk us through what's going through your mind at the end of a season. Do you always know whether that season's being renewed? Are you thinking, oh, maybe I should start thinking about my next gig? And how do you balance whether maybe you start working on another project? It's hard. I mean, sometimes you have the tacit wink wink, don't worry, you're coming back. But you ne- you never really you never really know. You just and and John and I were really like we did this in our first two years of Orphan Black. It was like write an ending to the season that nobody can argue with, that everybody is going to be hanging on what's going to happen. So it was just like the first job to coming back is writing the best cliffhanger, especially on a thriller type show like we're we're doing. Just write great cliffhangers, make it make it edge of the seat kind of thing that uh, that the audience will be clamoring for it. And then, you know, like a season of television, it's when it is over, when you have delivered and it's airing and you're waiting for that pickup, you know, you might, there might be a month between having to start the writer's room again. There might be less. <laughs> I've got Writer's Room going on season two, and we probably have three months of post-production and visual effects to go on season one still. Would you be down to participate in something we like to call a series of seemingly random questions? I am prepared to participate in the questions. Love it. The first question, in your Twitter bio, you mentioned two animals, horses and trout. Can you please walk us through what in the world that means? Um, I like to ride horses and fish for rainbow trout. Thank you. Next question. (laughs) Love it. I didn't know if it was a metaphorical thing. No, you know, Canadians, we like to get off in the bush, eh? (laughs) The next question. You mentioned earlier that indie film is in dire straits, so to speak. Would you recommend that route? that film festival indie film route to aspiring film writers or directors? 
Yeah, I, yeah, I would. Of course, because you've just you've got to write. You've got to write what moves you. I still always have a feature on the go, and you know, damn it, I will get one made again. I'm sure. But I, you need, you know, for younger writers, for for newer writers coming out, you need material. You need you need the experience of writing something and sharing it. You can't write in a vacuum. So the big, big contradiction of of a screenwriter real, really is that you're locked up and you have to do this writing yourself. But it must be shared. It must ultimately be shared in the filmmaking process. But as a when you're a young writer, you need to share your writing. You need to get into writers groups or find those friends that can give you the feedback. And if, if it's films you want to write, you should be writing in a feature film format. Though I would, you know, it's been really good for me being a jack of all trades, having written half hour television, TV movies, hour long dramas, cop procedurals, and feature stuff. Like, that's a great toolbox. And I think a lot of us in Canada, just by necessity, are jacks of all trades. Because we, we, you know, take the TV gigs to uh, whether it's buy the time to develop your own uh, TV work or whether it's to chase the dream of feature films. Next question. If you could suggest a question that we ask one of our next guests, what would you ask and why? Oh, I always find it interesting whether writers are morning writers or nighttime writers who uh, who are are insomniacs. I am uh, I'm only an insomniac writer if I have to be, which is a lot of the time. But uh, I am definitely better in the morning. Those are my good hours. I can get two hours in the morning. I can get way more done than I can at, at night. We normally flip that question on you, but you answered it for us, which is great. The next one is, if you could take any writer living or dead to any fast food restaurant, which writer, which restaurant, and why? Oh, wow. Does it have to be a fast food restaurant? You can choose a real restaurant as well. <laughs> um, well, I, I, uh, I've only been to... I've only been to In and Out Burger uh, once. Gotcha. So I want to go. I want to go back to get it animal style. Apparently. <laughs> so I, I maybe I'd take Kurt Vonnegut for animal style In and Outs. I love that. What do you think would happen in that conversation? Um, I don't know. I think he would just look at me with his long, kind face, and and we wouldn't say a lot, really. <laughs> Love that. All right, cool. Next question. If you could choose one learning or insight from your career to pass along to aspiring writers, what would you say? Sometimes people give advice for how to break in to the film or TV industries. It doesn't have to be that. What do you want to say? I would go back to something I touched on before, which is this sort of 
somewhat horrible dichotomy that writers have about particularly screenwriters about having to be solitary to get the work done and then having to be social to get the work appreciated or fed back on or made. So as early as possible, I would urge writers to not be precious with what they're writing, to show your shit, find that group of people who you trust and can laugh with about your struggles and uh, how bad things are in what you feel is, you know, when you have your when you're feeling insecure about your own writing, you're feeling insecure about job prospects, find that community that feeds back and supports. Love it. The last, well, I should say almost last question. What's the end goal for you in your career? I know what you're working on now, what you're working on next, five, 10 years down the road. What's in store? Where do you want to be? What do you want to do? Hmm. Maybe riding a horse with a fly rod strapped on no um uh i think i think i would like to i don't know what the what the real word is i i would like to be probably transition from showrunner to dramaturge i'm not sure whether there's that's an actual thing but I really enjoy working with, uh, and I'm enjoying it more and more, working with uh, younger writers and helping story edit or EP other people's projects. I think I would like to do more of that. And then, I, you know, I'll, also, I'll always be tinkering away on a feature script. And I won't rest until I have another feature made, damn it. Um, <laughs> Is there a particular uh, maybe franchise that you'd ever want to work with? Would you ever want to do a Marvel movie, a Star Wars film? Uh, those, you know, I've sort of haven't gone out for s tried to get Star Wars or Star Trek or any of those big ones. I really, I would do a, a superhero movie if it was like, you know, like grounded like Logan or or uh, out there and humorous like Guardians of the Galaxy. But I, I need my superhero movies a bit bent and twisted, you know? So, no, I, I'm really, I would like to get another original story made. So I've got a, I've got a script I've had in my pocket for 12 years that I've been trying to get made in the indie route, you know, several, several times around the, around the horn. Hopefully in the next four or five years, uh, I'll get it done. But, you know, I've been patient with it. I've held on to the script for a long time. As far as upcoming projects, I know we mentioned them briefly. Did you want to plug anything in particular or shout out your, your own? socials or twitter well i'll plug i'll plug snowpiercer it's something we're really proud of it's got a tremendous cast with jennifer Connolly, david diggs allison wright uh mickey sumner uh michael malley's just really really terrific cast um really great local cast in vancouver to boot Jennifer Connolly's amazing. It's a pleasure again to work with such an amazing 
um, number one. So I will plug Snowpiercer. It's going to be exciting. You know, it's a giant frozen train going around and around the world. <laughs> and what could possibly go wrong? So uh, April 2020, Snowpiercer will be on TBS. I'm also developing with uh, my producing partner, Mackenzie Donaldson, and with uh, a couple of young writers, uh, Julian Dezotti and Hannah Cheeseman. We've got a drama series called Whatever Linda, which is set in the world of 70s Wall Street. The premise being, what if Bernie Madoff's pyramid scheme was entirely perpetrated by his secretaries? So that's one that will definitely be, we've got a, a pilot that's in great shape. Um, I think they're in the process of writing another script. So excited about that one too. Excited about having projects that I can champion as an EP and, uh, and help push things over the wall. Because it's a pretty high wall. It's a high wall to push your first project over. I remember it well. Well, congrats. <laughs> We're super excited, and April 2020 can't come soon enough. With that said, we have one more question. Harry, drumroll please, and please pass the uh, envelope. Thank you. I'm opening the envelope. Oh. Did you have fun today? Yes, and the day is only just beginning. Love I it. I can go back outside, <laughs> shining buffalo skulls in the armored, <laughs> armored defense spots. And keep us safe here in, in California. <laughs> right from the writing podcast to all that. That's uh, pretty intense. Thank you, Graham. Really, really, really appreciate it. It's an honor to have you on the show. Love the insights and uh, really appreciate your time. Well, cheers. And you guys have a good day back in New York. Thanks, everybody. Keep on writing. Appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at WriterExp. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.